hello, hello, and welcome back to the Go Off This podcast. We hope you had a lovely holiday and are excited to step into 2022 with power, energy, and intention. I hope you ate some amazing food. We're safely gathering and spread some holiday cheer. And as we head into the new year and we're thinking about what we want to manifest, creating vision boards, and again, intentions for this new year, one of the biggest things we're considering is that money, honey, all right? Y'all may have broken the bank this holiday season with shopping. You might have been doing things, but now it's time to bring it back to one. Today, we're going to dive into how we handle money, our personal relationship with money, our family history with it, our relationship history with it, and what our financial goals are for the future. And I know y'all might have gotten a little itchy, a little anxious, a little nervous, me saying money. We feel it too. But we're just going to all come to this open and honest because we need to talk about money, all right? And stay tuned for a special guest on the show, Lauren Simmons, who is the youngest female traders at the New York Stock Exchange. She's going to give us some great tips, advice, and things we need to know to get our money right, all right? So let's get into it. I'm Chelsea, your VP here at Unbothered, and I want to open the floor up for this conversation with my crew talking about our bank accounts. So, Roundtable, let's kick it off. If you're describing your bank account, spending habits, however you want to call it, what song would it be? What would be that title track for what your spending habits are? And A, I'm going to start off with you. First of all, yeah, it is itchy in here. My neck, I just have hives <sighs> talking about money, but it's okay. Hey, y'all, it's the doll in Naye Komunibo. If we're going to talk about songs relating to spending habits, I'm going to have to say Sugar Mama by Beyonce. But to be clear, I don't have Beyonce money. The money's not long, but I spend like, you know how they say that thing when black women get some money, they spend like drug dealers. It's literally me. Every time I'm like, hey, do you need a purse? Do you want food? Let's go get this. But like, it's not, it doesn't make sense, but that's where I am right now. Sugar Mama by Beyonce. Look, goals. I appreciate it. You know, you're aspirationally living. You know, you know. Okay. Kathleen, our girl in the six, how you feeling? I'm feeling good, Chels. It's Kathleen, senior editor here at Unbothered. I am in the six, as I do. And I'm also going to turn to Queen B for my song, except it is Me, Myself, and I, because that's the only person I spend money on. Mm. (laughs) Even during the holidays, I'm so bad. When I should be buying presents for other people, I'm still just spending money on your girl, my favorite person, my best friend, me. And it's bad. (laughs) Yes. I mean, we're going to unpack that because there's nothing wrong with spending money on yourself, you know? Like you said, you're your own best friend. So if you're going to spend it on anyone, it might as well be you. So I appreciate that. All right, Maya, how you feeling? What's up, y'all? It's your favorite down south bestie, Maya Carmichael here, coming to you from 904 Duval Stand Up. And it has to be checked by a young thug because I got a check. I got a check. And we just got paid yesterday. We're prospering more money in 2022. So yeah, just keep saying money, 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 check, check, check. Cause they're going to fall into my lap, into the bank account, into all that. And Maya, like from the jump has been the one who's like, she's manifesting. So when she says checks, like they're coming to her. She, like no question. <laughs> 
Maya B millionaire. Hey, okay. You know, uh-oh. <laughs> put a B, put a B in front. Billion. Let's put Big Billy. Big Billy. All right. So for me, my spending habits, I would say it is, it's not right, but it's okay. Whitney Houston, <laughs> you know, which is just like, I spend money. It is not right the way I spend money, but it's okay because I've just accepted it. Certainly I can learn some things, but I mean, I look cute. And I got my hair done. So what you going to do? <laughs> really, it is what it is. That's what matters at the end of the day. Sorry. You know? So again, it's not right, but it's okay. So there we go. So now that we have established our spending habits and our personalities, I feel like it just showed a little bit more about our relationship with money, even from just that little bit. I feel like I said, it's not right, but it's okay. Like I said, I got my hair done. I look cute. I feel like I see money as a reward system, right? Like money is something that I'm earning in order to reward myself. And it's not something that I think about long term. Once again, it's not right. It's still not okay. Let's be honest. But I feel like for me, I just assumed I am 33. I assumed that I would never get to this age, to be honest. I never thought of myself as someone who would be, you know, someone who'd be thinking about retirement or saving money. And so my mindset has always been very like present now. I'm just going to spend money because I can't take it with me. But again, I'm getting older. And to be honest, I'm getting cuter. So I really got to figure out a money plan. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> you are not going nowhere, Chelsea. And also, you know, can't relate because I'm so much younger than you. 25. Don't fact check that. I think it might be a generational thing because I think us millennials haven't really thought about, you know, our retirement plans. I don't think of money or setting myself up for the future in that way. And I wonder if that's because we've watched the world crumble Mm. over and over again. And it's like, you know, what are we even saving for? There's this quote by Nayira Waweed, and she says, I don't pay attention to the world ending. It has ended for me many times and began again in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that so hard because I feel like we're just constantly watching the world end. And so it's like, what are we saving for? Why am I thinking about money, the money I'll have when I'm 60, when the world keeps ending? You know, why would we hoard all this money instead of just living our lives? I think that is the mindset of this generation. So, yeah, that's all all of that to say um, that I'm justifying why I'm so bad at money <laughs> and why I'm so bad at future planning. I've mentioned this on this podcast before, but my now husband, still getting used to that word, he is way better at money than me. Now that we're married, he wants to join our bank accounts and take over all of the financial responsibilities And that stresses me out. I can't even put in my invoices on time. I get paralyzed with anxiety when I think about money. And I'm only hurting myself by not Mm. putting in my invoices. I'm only hurting myself by delaying my husband taking over all of our finances. But it just, I don't know what it is. I just can't do it. I mean, I think that that's really fair. And I think um, also shout out to your husband. Great. Joint bank (laughs) accounts. Sure. Good luck. Uh, But I think... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just have some money on the side. Oh, uh, I'm always, just in case. You know, I'm always gonna have. We have a prenup. I'm always gonna have money on the side. It's just he's just as like more organized, and he wants to organize it all. We stand a Cayman's account. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you said a Cayman's account. What? <laughs> 
<laughs> if the feds are listening, this is a jokey joke. Yeah, it's yeah, a no, jokey no, no. joke. No yeah. cap, no cap. Literally, <laughs> it came into account. I'm sorry, that really took me out. But what I think is so interesting, and I what I started this episode with saying is that you know I know this is going to make us anxious, a little bit hot, a little bit itchy, and a you're you're already there, like Look. because I think when we're talking about money, we get nervous. At least I do, you know. And I think Kathleen, when you talk about that anxiety of like I can't really afford to wait on this, but I'm still not doing it. I am intimidated by money. Mm. I am not financially literate. Like, I'm just not. And I am not, again, ascribing or prescribing this on anyone. I'm just saying right now in my life, that is not something that I feel comfortable doing. And I think as women, and especially as Black women, we have this thing where we're not going to do something unless we're experts at it, right? Unless we know we're going to win, unless we know we're going to kill it and can go 100% hard in the paint all the time. For me, I'm thinking like, why would I jump into something when I'm not going to be amazing at it, when I'm going to fail at it, and when I'm not going to have all of the answers? And I feel like money and finances are one of those things where you can feel really dumb and that's really uncomfortable. And in order to just not feel dumb, you just don't do it. Right. And so it becomes this like vicious cycle where you're anxious about it, but you're intimidated by it, but you're nervous about it. And you at the end of the day, your bank account's looking at you like, now what? (laughs) First of all, Chelsea, not you in my business. Back up. Thank you. Um, You all in my head, because that's that's just generally how I felt. But growing up. You get comfortable with the things that your parents are teaching you and you take them into adulthood. And if your parents are teaching you financial literacy at a young age, then when you become an adult, it's kind of like everything was paid for. I, I don't I don't really know what to do at this point. And then you get here as an adult and then you have to figure it out yourself when there should have been a conversation between, you know, you and your parents. And I think that's a very big thing in the black community where we don't like to share certain things. Thankfully, my dad recently is like, girl, I know me. I wasn't that the best with money, but you're going to be better with money. Come over here and learn how to trade these stocks. I'm like, OK. And I would hopefully one day want that for my kids. I feel like something, you know, for the black people, we need to just teach our kids at an earlier age, you know, financial literacy, what things cost, how things work, how taxes work. You need to be financially literate because we travel on money. Everything's based around money. We live in America. People get get into it. And if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And I was really good at math all throughout my life, but... You look at finances and accounting and stocks, that's a different type of math that I'm just not ready for. Hmm. So, I mean, I feel all of that. It's interesting how so much of our understanding of money comes from the fact that our parents didn't talk to us about it. Like for me growing up, I was I grew up in a way that I can now acknowledge was privileged. Like my parents were always making sure we had stuff and not even just like the minimum. My parents were like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Not in a show off type of way, but it was you know, everything was taken care of. And so I don't think I started thinking about money until maybe three years ago when I moved to New York or when I, not even when I moved to New York, when I graduated from grad school, I was a full grown adult, but like I didn't get my first credit card until I moved to New York in 2016. It's 2021. It's about to be 2022. So I was like, you know, money is fake. It's all a gag, like whatever, spend the money, spend the money. And then the New York rent is like, what did you say? 
Student loan said, what did you say? Groceries? (laughs) Do you know how expensive it is to get groceries? I did not know that. And so when I started getting my own money and having like a real job and a steady salary and income, I was like, oh, things kind of cost a lot. We're broke out here. And so it's it's crazy (laughs) because it's like I've been building up my savings. But even over time, I'm like, this is not anything. And I feel like we've missed out on a whole other education because I was living kind of theoretically for such a long time. Money is fake. Somebody else is going to pay for this, whatever. And then adulthood is like, actually, there's a couple of bills that you have to pay just because you woke up today. You stepped outside Mm -hmm. of your house. That's going to be $2,500. You took the train. That's another 50. You got on Tinder. I'm not on Tinder, but somebody out there, it costs money. (laughs) It costs money to find love for real. If you're trying to get premium, it costs. Exactly. Yeah. And I I relate to that on a lot of levels, which is why I'm going to ask you how your parents grew up with money, because I think Mm. that has something to do with everything we're talking about here. So, you know, did your parents grow up with money? So my dad is from, so my parents are Nigerian immigrants, born, raised in Nigeria. My dad came from literally a village. And I remember he, we watched this one movie. He was like so emotional. It was a movie called The Boy Who Controlled the Wind or something like that. But the story was about a boy who was so smart, and wanted to go to school, but he literally could not afford it. And my dad was like, no, that was literally me. Like my dad told, like recall stories of him having to be pulled out of school because he couldn't pay the tuition type things. And then my mom on the other end was like the headmaster's daughter at like a good school. So it was kind of fancy. And so when they got together and had kids, they struggled for a while because again, my dad was broke. But then when he got, when he made it, he made it. And so growing up, my parents were like, our kids are always going to be taken care of. And so when it was time for me to start paying for things I was like, no, I I don't think I should have to do that. I don't think that, that I should be paying any money. And I because also, be that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm really freestyling it because I thought that life was just like twenty dollar cost. Things really, co- I have to reiterate. Have you bought a carpet? Have you bought a rug? Have you bought, like it costs a bed? Everything costs money, and so it's just like even certain stuff. Like my mom was like, hey, I think it's time for you to pay your phone bill. Hmm? Why would I do that? <laughs> Why are you right. asking me to do that? And then you don't pay your phone bill. Hey, right. hey, come on, come on. I don't pay mine either. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, listen, Maya's with me. I do yeah. pay it now, but before, <laughs> prior to yesterday. Um, <laughs> prior to yesterday, no. I pay every other no. bill. I pay for groceries. I pay for the rent. I pay for that bed. I pay for that car. It's still on that family plan, though. Hello, yeah. it's cheap. They keep having these cheap plans. I'm going to keep being on them like, ding. Yes. <laughs> I was like very much with you. Like those New York dinners, like those pile up, you know, like you look at the bill, you're like gratuity. I didn't order that. What am I supposed to do with that? Like taking Ubers, you know, taking taxis, like living in the city is a cost. Like it it costs a lot and not let alone doing something that you want to do. And for someone like you and a, who hasn't been exposed to this and still is getting her phone bill paid by her parents. I'm paying it. (laughs) She's not going to let it go. She's not going to ever let it go. Like really and truly I'm not, but like that's fair though. Right. And that's, I think a real estimate of like the way that you live your life of like understanding how would I know how much this costs because I had no concept of it right like Mm -hmm. and that's everything like we're saying from a phone bill to an A those student loans that you like you say last episode we're never paying (laughs) (laughs) who has student loans that's girl it must be another nay on the line sorry this is a day's energy she's just like I will not pay them I literally don't know what y'all are talking about (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if if y'all don't, I'm Canadian, so I'm out of this conversation, but if y'all don't pay them, if all of you decide 
what is Joe Biden going to do? There's nothing he can do if you just say, I'm not doing it. Literally. Like, and A, you said money is fake. <laughs> I think it's fair, though, because even though, like, I'm laughing, you talking about paying your phone bill and us talking about, like, the anxiety and, like, shame around that of, like, what? Like, you don't even pay your fi- phone bill, right? Is part of this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like we have this feeling of just feeling awkward about sharing things about our own personal finances, right? And about what we do with our money, where we spend it, because everyone and their mom is going to have a reaction regardless, Mm. right? We had a visceral reaction. And I think that ladders again into this idea that money, especially for Black women and especially for Black families, we don't talk about it, right? We don't share our personal journeys with it. And that means also we can't learn from each other's. And it makes us feel some type of way. Like I said, that shame spiral from the beginning of this conversation. And then I feel like also then we're passing that down of not talking to the next generation, right? So what is it that we're learning in this conversation right now that we can break perhaps, you know, that our parents weren't doing, that we weren't understanding? Because for me, money was a sort of like windfall type situation. And that's very much, again, like I said, going back to my single title, like it's not right, but it's okay. One month the lights would be off and then another month my dad would come in with a Land Cruiser like, hey, we got a new car, let's go. Like, and that's my relationship with money. When I have it, I spend it and I give it. And it's not particularly healthy, but it's all I know when it comes to money. Not to blame our parents for everything, but (laughs) I truly feel like, I mean, you're talking, Chelsea, about your relationship to money growing up and what you saw and how that impacts your spending habits now. And, you know, Anaya, you mentioned that. And Listen, I'm over here like judging y'all for not paying your phone bill, but I rode my parents' coattails for a very long time. And I do think that the way that they shielded me and my brothers from money talks because they had it, as privileged as that was, it also is why I'm so bad with money. And I think that they did that because they grew up with no money at all. My parents both came from poverty. And so in their thinking of, okay, I'm going to give my kids the life that I did not have, part of that was they had to think about money growing up. And that was part of their childhood. And so they said, okay, for your childhood, I don't want you to have to think about money at all. But that also came with secrecy. And so that, you know, took away from my financial literacy, which does not exist. And then math, which if we talk about being financially literate, being good at math is part of that. I was terrible at math, and math was the one thing I was bad at. I was a straight-A student. My parents made sure of it, (laughs) but math was the one thing I was bad at, and then there was all that shame that came with being bad at math, and because my parents wouldn't let me be bad at anything. So now I think that, like, all the trauma of trying to impress my immigrant parents and then them being disappointed by my math skills is all wrapped up now in money. And so I feel this sense of shame every time I, you know, try to go do my taxes and I can't do it and it all looks like gibberish to me. Then I just feel like I'm back in high school failing a math test and Mm. my parents being mad at me. I've now got this man who's going to take over all my financial stuff. And I feel like a bad feminist, a bad adult. I feel like a bad daughter again. Y'all, I mean, this is all coming up. I feel a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going through that right now. That one time I got to see an algebra. Like, I promise. I'm X equal two. X equal two. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jelly. Like, even you saying X equals whatever. Like, I just got a pit in my stomach. That's very real, though. Like, we take that with us. And like you said, as the daughter of immigrant parents, like, we un- you understand money in a different way, perhaps, than someone who is American, right? And I think, Anae, you sort of touched on this, too. Like, culturally, you come from a place where money is perceived so differently. Yeah, even I feel like for Nigerian people, like, you know, if you know, you know, there's a certain group, I'm not going to call nobody's names or whatever, but there's a certain group that is well known for being very like money driven. Some people might call it greedy. Some people might call it ambitious. But from my standpoint, the way that I was raised, it's like, it's tacky to be obsessed with money and to be so like, oh, I have money and splashy and things like that. And so for me, I think with my cultural background, it's such a hard thing to unlearn to be like, you know, trying to be confident in my money habits and trying to like, okay, I'm, I want to get more money. Here's how I do this or whatever. Because for me, there's shame in that. It seems weird. It's kind of embarrassing to see people like flexing and flossing because it's just kind of like my parents raised us to be very humble. And then on the other hand, for me, this isn't even a cultural thing, but for me personally, I feel like there are so many people, especially in this generation, in this culture, this society that we live in, who are so, their only goal in life is to have money. They want to amass it. They want to accumulate it. They want to hoard it. But there's no intention behind that. You just want to have money to have it. And so it's just like, for me, because I don't want to be on that extreme of like, I'm chasing the bag because whatever, all that stuff that comes with the rat race is very damaging to your mental health, to your physical health, all of that. But then on the other hand, it's like, if I am not striving to get money, am I going to be broke or just like firmly middle class or lower middle class or whatever? Am I going to be in that position forever? So I don't want getting rich to be my whole personality, if that makes sense. Mm. And that's really kind of, I feel like the opposite of what we see with some African-Americans or Black Americans. It's very flashy. I'm on the scene looking crisp and clean. Look at my new this and look at my new that. And while we as Black people do deserve nice things, do not get me wrong, it has become some people's personality and yeah. their stamp to just have nice things and to hear that culturally there is a group of people who are very modest with their money and it's not cool to be out here and flashy when that's like socially and on social media, that's the status quo. If you don't look like you got money, people are not trying to talk to you. If you're not looking like you're dripping, certain people aren't trying to talk to you, be in your circle, be in your vicinity. And it's just so interesting, the different mindsets, because for me, I would say the conservative way of thinking is very much, I feel like that's wealth. And then the very, I'm out there, I'm flash and I, I'm in the camera with it type of behavior is very much, okay, you're rich for the moment. Yeah. Let me just put a caveat because I can tell, I just had a, I just had a flash forward and some people going to be in my mentions. If you're not from <laughs> that group or if you're in that group and I didn't say anybody's name, so please, Nigerian culture, just in general, let me just say this. Nigerian culture in general is very money driven. Let me just say that. I think the Nigerian people are very interested in getting money, but there is a specific group that is very well known for doing that. I'm not saying giving any criticism, but that's a fact. I am from a different kind of ethnic group where the vibe is not like that. But let me just put that out there. And anybody, y'all want to start with the 419 scammer behavior? Don't do that because I do fight. I do fight. Let me just say that. Don't start. And they said, don't at me. Don't. Literally. Literally. <laughs> just before you start. Thank you. What? Go ahead, Kathleen. I mean, it's a cultural thing like you're talking about, Anae, and it's also a generational thing like Maya was saying because we know flaunting your wealth is so much more prevalent now with social media. And so that is just the generation that we're growing up in. We are seeing it on Instagram. We're seeing it on TikTok. And I Mm -hmm. also feel like 
because of the patriarchy and all of that overarching stuff, we have also grown up when it comes to women and work, especially we're not supposed to talk about money. We're yeah. not supposed to talk about how much money we are making. I remember being at a media event. I was on a panel last year. And at the end of the panel, we were all asked to share how much money we made, yeah. what our salaries were. <laughs> and <sighs> I instantly started dying inside. And I said the number because I was like fourth in line and all these other people started saying their number and they said their number. And the person in front of me said her number. And so I said it and I had such a horrible reaction to doing it. But I, I felt like I had to. And one of the panelists after, because they had, I was late as I do, and they had a little sidebar and said, hey, we're going to share how much money we make. Are you all comfortable with this? And so she was like, I'm sorry that I didn't give you the chance to decide if you were comfortable or not. And I think even if I had that moment to decide, I don't know if I would be comfortable with it because we don't ha we don't talk about this stuff. But also, we're not going to change the systems or change how much money we make or the disparity between how much money men make and women make or how much money black women make and white women make if we don't share our salaries and talk about it openly and be transparent and still, when I was given that opportunity, you know, we were there to mentor young Black women, and it's important for them to hear how much money we make. I still felt my insides melting when I had to say the number out loud. Yes. I mean, first of all, this is what happens when you're late. And <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> This is what Life lessons. Uh, you know, whatever. Just, yeah. But number two, and I'm going to be honest with you, I feel the same exact way, Kathleen. And I feel like completely honest, because this is the family, I would have lied. Wow. I would not have said, yeah. I would not have said my real salary. Chelsea, I almost did, because I will say that the person right before me, her salary was significantly lower than mine. And I felt that embarrassed. And mm. I almost did. I almost lied. Was but she a Black I, woman? She's a Black woman. We were all Black women mm. on this panel. And oh, her wow, salary okay. was significantly lower than mine. And so I still said it, but I felt bad. Hmm. That that exactly is why I, in that moment, as you're telling the story, like, I would have felt compelled to lie. Because I think, for me, when I think about that, and you're so right, like, even this conversation, again, like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I gotta, like, take off my sweater here. Because, like, I literally just, it's the imposter syndrome for me. When And, I, again, whether I'm now in a place where I'm very comfortable and I'm very fortunate, or 10, 12 years ago when I had three different jobs and was, like, freelancing and sleeping on couches, I didn't feel, I just don't feel comfortable sharing that. And because I think at any point, I'm either making too much or too little. And I question myself because I also have no idea what other people are making, right? So yeah. it goes exactly to what you're talking about, Kathleen, right? Like, if we're not sharing, we can't lessen that anxiety, right? And if I'm constantly thinking like that, then we can't be sharing in a way so that all of our bank accounts can get up, right? Yeah. And so it's just processing for me of like, why don't we feel comfortable sharing that? And I think it's, again, because... At least for me, I feel like there's something in me that like either doesn't deserve this money or should be getting billions on billions on billions, right? There's no in-between because I don't understand how money works. Mm. <laughs> like, Do you think it equates to status? Because I keep hearing you guys say, I feel bad, especially Kathleen with the lady who makes less than you. Do you feel like your salary 
gives you status in social in social circles or you know we're trained to like think that the amount of money we get paid for certain things is equivalent to our worth 100 mm. or is a reflection of our work and that we I mean, worth and that's why we feel a certain way about things so like if i feel like oh i'm doing this i'm i'm great at all these things and I'm making this amount of money, but they don't see it. Am I really not worth that much? Mm. Yeah, I mean, yes. I think that we're explicitly being told that our money is our worth and our value and how much money you make. Like, how many memes do we see and how many inspirational infographics do we see on Instagram that's like, get your worth, get your value, mm-hmm. sis? And it's all empowering, but it's also just everything you're saying, Maya. It makes that our value and our worth is then placed on how much money we make. Maya, that's such a great question because when we talk about sort of money equating to worth, I also think about like what we want to grow and gain. What do we want to be, right? What do we want to attain? And so I'm wondering for you guys, as we're having this conversation and talking about whether wealth equates to status, do you guys want to be rich? Do you want that for yourself, Maya? I want wealth. I don't want to be um, rich. I want to be wealthy. Not for me, because one thing about me, I'm going to do the work. I'm very much a giver. I'm going to do the work regardless. I really want it for my kids. Um, I want them to have opportunities that I didn't have. And I know we've been through 16 panoramas in the last two years. And, you know, we could die tomorrow. But I'm still thinking about, you know, if I want to have kids and stuff like that, what will be left for them? I feel like with that money, they'll have opportunities to do things like I, that I didn't do. I felt like coming out of high school, I was very confused. Like, to be honest, I didn't even, I knew college was a thing, but I didn't know what that was. And people looked at me like I was crazy because I didn't know what that was, but nobody was talking to me about it. So then I had to figure out for myself, okay, college, then adulting, what is adulting and what is money? And I don't ever want my kids to have to feel that way. If they need to take a break from something because it's a little bit too overwhelming, I want them to be able to say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I just need some time to figure myself out. Let me take a gap year. Or when they do figure out what they want to do, hey, this is my business plan. These are the moves I've already taken to, you know, push this forward. Can I get a little bit of seed money? I'm not going to be raising no brats around here. But we want to be able to have money so they can come to us and not go in debt or go to the bank or anything like that. That just alleviates the pressure. You know, it, I, mean, I always want it to be easier for them. I don't want them to have to struggle as much. I want them to struggle a little bit because that creates character. <laughs> but, you know, not too much where they having mental issues and out in these good streets acting on those yeah. things. So I love all everything you just said, Maya, but it's interesting that you, you know, had the caveats where you're like, well, I'm not going to raise any brats and they got to struggle a little bit because I think that what we think of people who take money from their parents are given money from their parents is that they are brats, that they are spoiled or that they didn't struggle as much. And so they don't deserve what they have as much. And so I think of my parents' hustle and I think of, like I've said, what they came from and what they were able to do to give us the life that we had And I still feel ashamed. Like, I live in a condo right now because my parents paid for the down payment years ago. I have now paid for everything since. But I had a massive leg up. And I feel embarrassed about that. 
and I feel shame around it. And I don't think that we should. I think it's beautiful that you are saying, like, your future kids get to say, my mom worked her ass off, and so now I have this. And I should be able to say the same thing. And I think we just need to, like, shift our mindset around, like, what our parents Mm -hmm. give and what you're afforded to do because of that instead of kind of feeling that shame around it. To go back to the question of whether or not I would want to be rich that Chelsea asked, I think that— Oh, this is such a hard one because I feel like for me, it comes up a lot because, again, my husband, he runs this startup and there's always this like option on the table for him to sell it. And he's like, when we sell it, we're going to have yacht money. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I mean, he's been saying we're, he's going to sell in 18 months and we're going to have yacht money in 18 months for like six years. So, I mean, take that <laughs> with a grain of salt. But I always say if we got yacht money... I would want to give most of it away. Like, we don't need yacht money. Like, what is the point? It just makes me feel like I would feel guilty because, you know, no one man deserves all that power. Like, why have all of that disposable income? So for me, I feel like I would give it all away and that I would not want to get to a point where I was wealthy. But I'm also a bougie bitch. So (laughs) that being said, I don't know if it actually came down to it what I would do. I'm going to say, Kathleen, after this, I'll give you my routing number, girl. I'll give you my routing number. <laughs> Maya said you can give it away to your kids and she's your kid now. So there you go. <laughs> I'm open for adoption. That's it. At like, we need to bring, we need to make black nepotism a thing. All right? Like, mm-hmm. I, that is something that I'm like, if, if white people can do it, why can't we? Right? Like, exactly like you're saying, Kathleen and Maya, like, why do we have the shame around All we're talking about is generational wealth. That's what this is. That's what Mm -hmm. we're building. That's what we're growing. Like, make Black nepotism something that is positive. You know, we're not, again, Maya said, running around acting crazy like these white people are. But, like, let's build something that we can grow as a family and give to the next generation. Like, okay, that's fair. That is totally fair. Anae, how about you? It's so—I just want to say that I understand the kind of shame that goes into, like, accepting handouts or whatever from your parents. I don't feel that at all. If anything, there have been times in my life where I've actually resented not having more, right? My parents have always done everything. Like I said, everything was taken care of. But I remember the day that, like, a time in undergrad where I had to take out loans after not taking them out at all. And I felt like— that's not fair, right? And not resenting my parents, but just resenting the situation. Like if my, if we were breaded, I wouldn't have to take out loans. Now, again, the, these are loans that don't exist anymore. <laughs> Joe Biden, just be, let's be clear. Jojo. But, Jojo, listen. But at that point, I was like, I wish that I had more money to take care of this. Like I was jealous of the people whose parents could pay for everything or even people who are always on scholarship who got everything. Obviously, if you're on scholarship because of like need-based whatever, but people who are just like, yeah, I'm using my my refund to go on vacation. And people are like, I was like, oh, I'm using it to do something real, like buy groceries or whatever, X, Y, Z. So there's that. So I feel you, but I, I can't, not me. I wanted more money. In the present, do I want to be rich? I think I want to be really comfortable. I, I don't, I feel like being extremely rich does something to your soul. There is something about attaining a certain level of wealth that makes you like change your mind about certain things. You are now in the business of protecting your money, protecting your assets to the point that it puts other people in a bad situation. I was just reading something. This is so random, but Kim Kardashian was saying, I'm a Democrat when it comes to social issues and rights, but I'm a Republican Mm. when it comes to money. That doesn't work. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I feel like there is something when you reach a certain tax bracket, now your main priority is protecting your funds at any cost. And that's just something that I'm not really interested in. But at the same time, 
I want to have some money. Yeah, yeah. I do want to have some money in the bank. I am not thinking about them kids right now, even though I do want to have them. I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about my parents, paying back my parents for all of the work and love they've invested in me. But also just like for myself right now, the world can end at any point. Like look at the weather. It is hot, hot in December. This earth it's not for, for it's not going to be here for much longer, right? And so I think that money does give you a lot of convenience. And I'm at a place where thankfully I have a steady stream of income. But there are a lot of things that I feel like I shouldn't have to worry about, like a vacation. I should be able to go to Aruba every day if I want to. I should be able to go on a vacation twice a quarter. Like, oh, I'm going to Mexico. You were just, yep. And what about it? Yep. I mean, yes. Like, if you're going to Aruba, like, take me with you. I, yeah. Like, we, we I got the brand. Make this happen. Yeah. There we go. But, like, that, it's like, quote, like, money isn't everything unless you don't have it. Then it's, exactly. Then it's the only thing, right? Like, that that idea. And, like, again, as you said, Anae, like, I do want to recognize that this conversation we're having right now is extremely privileged, especially now, yeah. right? We have jobs. We have paychecks. We have benefits. We have homes. We have clothes on our back. And that's not the case for a lot of people right now. And so that's also why I was sort of, like, asking this question because when it comes to, like, wealth and money, I'm also just, like, how much do we need? How much do you actually need? Yeah. Again, I'm still and forever in the market for benefactors who do not take this <laughs> as me opting out, you know? Like, I'm taking open application season right now. But when I think about, like, what do I really need? You know, like, the money part of it, I don't know that I need it. And even if I had it, to be honest, planning for the future, I don't think I'm going to spend it right so really, like, don't even give it to me. So when we're talking about, like, you know, windfalls or just, like, getting more money or hitting the lottery or, you know, just any of the other things that could happen in, when it comes to money, I just don't think I need it. And even if I had it, I wouldn't know what to do with it. You know, I, I don't even know how to spend it or manage it. That's what I'm saying. I feel like if we can get as many payouts as we want to— but if you're not managing that money right, baby, it's over for you. You know, how good would you be if, you know, you don't have financial literacy or education? I mean, not to be, the devil don't need no advocates, but I'm an advocate for him at this point. <laughs> Let me say, because I, I feel like we're talking about money and we're talking about financial literacy because it is that level of education about money is hard to access. I have a lot more, not grace, yeah. but more understanding of people who are financially irresponsible. Right. Because because we weren't raised in that way. A lot of us just don't know things when people do come into some money and they want to run it into the ground. It's kind of like hmm, it'd be like that, especially I feel like if, for example, if Joe Biden was like, you know what? Yeah, let's give all black people who are uh, descended from enslaved black people in this country. Let's give them fifty thousand dollars. I feel like. Who am I to say, oh, excuse me, how, have you thought about investing? Have you thought about your 401k? I feel like society just in general has a tendency to police the way that Black people, specifically poor Black people, the way that those people spend their money. And so, you know, I understand the financial literacy and I think that it is very important. But it's just like, you know, if you want to buy some Jordans for your baby, like do that. If you want to take them to Chuck E. Cheese instead of having like a sandwich at home, do that because it's your right. And as long as your lights are on, as long as there's running water, as long as the bills are paid, I feel like you shouldn't have to be like holding your purse so tight and not living your life. Because you're just because you're broke, that doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy your life or have fun, if that makes sense. It does. And I think like, 
That's hard though. And it is. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I mean, I think that money, like bodies, are things that people think that they can have an opinion on when it's not theirs. Yeah. You know? And I think that there's just this... There is this idea around money that everyone thinks they're going to be rich one day. And there's so much stigma attached to poverty and poor people that people don't want to be associated with. So they end up voting against their own interests. They end up siding with the millionaires and the billionaires because they're like, poverty is something that I don't want to be associated with because it's seen as something that's so horrible or that those people don't deserve Jordans. <laughs> and those yeah. people are so so bad, such bad people because they are in a state of poverty, which is ridiculous and just a horrible way of thinking. And we know that that's not how it works. And so these people are like, oh, well, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a billionaire one day. So don't tax billionaires. Don't tax the rich because that's going to be me. Yeah. It's <laughs> Steven, like there's so much of everyone. so much of this conversation about money, like not what we're doing, but like is a manifestation type thing. People are manifesting riches. People are thinking about their ideal life and their aspiration is to be rich. But the mm-hmm. reality is that there's no amount of stimmies. There's no na- amount of reparations that is going to take you from being in poverty or middle class to being fully out of poverty, to being fully in with the Jeff Bezoses and the Mark Zuckerbergs. Like, that's not real. And so people are like, oh yeah, generational wealth and did the like that. It's not always going to be having $20 million in the bank. It's not always going to be having like a Birkin that you can pass down to whatever. Sometimes mm-hmm. the generational wealth is making sure that your kids have a house to live in if you die, right? Sometimes that's like making sure that you have minimum life insurance if something happens to you, God forbid. Sometimes that's like just making sure that you have a roof over your head. That's the generational wealth. Mm-hmm. And as always, Black people deserve the nicest of all the things. As And as a manifester, it's work behind the manifestation. So yeah, we're not just yeah. sitting here chanting, like, hum, money, money, money. We're, we're out here putting the work in. And as we put the work in, these things that we positively think about, because that's what it's really about. It's, positive, it's the positive mentality of it. So therefore, you act in the way that you're thinking. And that's really what it is. It's not just saying it. It's actually believing and thinking it so that you act on it and these things can become true. So I think that, you know, while we can and deserve and need nice things, we also have to be smart when moving with money. So yeah. I understand going to get the Jordans because the STEMI has been a pandemic and you have a hard time, but don't spend all the STEMI so much to where you can't pay the rent. That's true. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know, that is really, I think, where I also get caught up because it's like, this is all, this money is all going back into the capitalist system mm-hmm. that that created poverty, this situation, you know, that where Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have $250 billion each. Mm-hmm. Yes, I Googled that. <laughs> and there are people who can't put food on their tables, you know, like that is disgusting. And so I get like really nervous and like anxious again when we talk about sort of like stimmies or reparations because I get nervous of like, this is a trap. This is also a trap. Like, I, I told y'all like earlier today, but I had a fascinating, entirely too talkative Uber driver last night who said a <laughs> lot of things. But one of the things that he said, and I looked it up after it, it was also true, was that you can declare bankruptcy and everything gets cleared. The only thing that doesn't get cleared, your student loans. Wow, You the still have to pay your student Ooh. loans if you file for bankruptcy. It's a trap. Like that makes no sense. The legal loopholes that people create in order to make sure you're still 
owing the system and you're still literally beholden to the money, monopoly or whatever, it mm-hmm. still counts to it. And so I think I just want to make sure that, like you said, Maya, we're setting ourselves up for success and just mm-hmm. being mindful of the things that we value. And if we don't have financial literacy, as we've all established, like we're trying to figure out a way to gather it, like read about it and just educate ourselves because the capitalist system wants us to stay ignorant. Yeah, capitalism is a scam and they're always going to win. And I, I even struggle with, how selfish this system makes us. Yeah. Because Mm. I think because it's such a scam, we then revert back to, all right, well, I'm going to get mine. I'm just going to do me. And that way, the system stays the same and none of that changes. We haven't figured it out. But again, like we hope at least that this conversation has made you feel a little bit more comfortable to have these conversations with each other. Share what you know, what you don't know, and what you need to know, because that's the only way we are going to all have a better relationship with money and get ours for each other, too, and make sure that we all have what we need for our future and that Kathleen gets her yacht, if nothing else, okay? (laughs) Please, I'm trying to go. And with that, we have reached the end of our very full money, honey conversation, okay? Thank y'all for just sharing and being so honest and vulnerable with your thoughts around money. And that means also that we've reached my favorite part of the conversation. Oh, yes, I am talking about that. Don't at me. All right. And if you're new or true or just want to hear me say it again, don't at me is the part of the conversation we use to tie a bow on our discussion, give you some food for thought and just some good energy to move about your day with. And in case the title wasn't clear, you cannot at us. All right. Nothing. Nunca. Non. Nine. No, heart emoji. And for this Don't At Me, we're going to throw it to our girl in the six, Kathleen, to tell us about universal health care, getting our money right, and why she still has a separate bank account. All right, let's go. <laughs> Whew. Thank you, Chels. All right, we talking money, honey. Did your brows start sweating? Did your palms get hot? It's okay, sis. We've established that being honest about our money woes and even the wins gets us uncomfortable. It's time to sit in that discomfort and drop the pretense and the secrecy surrounding money. That's the only path to financial literacy and to financial freedom. Whether you're making it or not, whether you grew up with it or not, money is something that we can't live without. And so we got to push past the shame and the fear that is so intertwined with our relationships with money for the sake of our bank accounts and for the next generation. Now, I may be bad at math, but I know I can't afford to hide behind my ignorance of algorithms and stocks and NFTs and crypto, whatever else, if I'm going to create stability and longevity with my money. We know that capitalism is a game that is rigged against us and that student loans aren't fair and that a clean bill of health should be a right, like it is in Canada, not another bill to add to the stack. And so, knowing what we know, transparency is is the key. Let's talk about how much we make. Not in a flashy, look at my $400 shoes on TikTok way, but in a, I was negotiating my salary and they tried to play me, so let's make sure that doesn't happen to you way. Let's share our wealth of knowledge and our wealth with our communities. If you got yacht money, good for you, but can you use some of it to set your village up for success? Our parents can't pay our phone bills forever. So again, it is time to get educated and intelligent about our money and our future. Now listen, I'm going to need to take my own advice here. So let me end with some words, all of y'all, 
need to hear. You're probably never going to become a billionaire. Let me say that again. You're probably never going to become a billionaire. And in fact, they shouldn't exist. When people are scraping by, Jeff Bezos doesn't need to be blasting into space. Okay? Abolish all billionaires except for Rihanna. (laughs) In closing, secure your bag, share your salaries, tax the rich. New year, new you, new money, baby. Don't at me. Welcome to season five of the Go Off Sis podcast brought to you by Target, our destination for celebrating ourselves and our success. This season, we're reminding you what it means to be that girl. Okay, from our style to our space and more, we're investing in our future and using our voices to lead the culture forward. So whether you're building ownership or building community, Target has what you need to celebrate your legacy your way. Okay, so today on the show, if you do not know her, Google is free, but the accolades are heavy, all right? Yes, the definition of money, moves, and boss tings, all right? Entrepreneur, host, finance expert, the wolfette of Wall Street, if you will, the youngest female trader at the New York Stock Exchange, and only the second Black woman to be on the floor in history, all right? She's also helping new entrepreneurs raise capital, hosting an online interactive series, going public, and a new podcast with Spotify called Money Moves. She also has her own podcast called Mind, Body, Wealth. Lauren Simmons, all right? And not only that, I'm just, I just want to come correct here because we had Kiersey Clemens on the show last year, and she told us some things that you're gonna be a whole in a whole ass biopic already, like <laughs> under 30, and already got a biopic under the belt. We gotta learn from you, Lauren. Welcome, welcome to Go Off Sis. I am so grateful to be here. I'm so excited to be with you ladies. It is gonna be a great conversation today. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. So to give you a little context, we had a roundtable conversation and the theme of this conversation was money, honey. All right. So we all came to this conversation, like felt a little itchy, felt a little nervous, (laughs) felt a little anxious because we all feel some type of way about money. And I think we all do. And I think especially as Black women, it comes with a lot of things learnings from our family, from what we've been taught, what we've been told, what we haven't been told about money. And so I really want to open up the floor for this conversation with you, Lauren, to hear your story a little bit with money and your relationship with money. As I said, you were the youngest woman ever to be on the trading floor and only the second Black woman in history. So for you, was money something that you always were drawn to when you were younger? Was that something that was really important to you in your family, understanding sort of financial fitness and your own personal finance? Or was that something that came to you later in life and you just generated interest in and went into spaceship mode at 22 with? (laughs) (laughs) So I will say the trading floor and personal finance are two different things. For me, growing up in a household with my mom, she prioritized making sure that personal finance was on point at, at all times. Earlier on, she put me on her credit cards so I could be able to build credit. She taught me the importance of allowance. She taught me the importance of saving and budgeting almost so as an adult, I still hear her whenever I make a purchase over $100, should I be making this purchase? I think I've always particularly had a healthy relationship with money. I've had a lot of influences around me that have 
helped me to the sense of my mom is very frugal when it comes to finances or maybe not frugal, but I, I think she could spend money a little bit more. And I do believe that she should experience life and travel a, a bit more than what she does. And then on the flip side of it, my aunt, who, you know, I love and adore, she is terrible at money. And to this day, leans on support from my grandparents when it comes to money and, and helping her. And so I have seen both sides of the spectrum. And I'm like, how can I be able to marry both and, and be somewhere in the middle? And I think overall, generally, when it comes to our relationship with money, it's always going to grow and evolve. And I do believe people should be bad at money to be good at money. There's no other mm. formula to be able to do so. But the mistakes that we make with money, we hope that they're not something that we have to continue to get out of that hole years and years and years down the line. For me, was I ever particularly bad with money? I mean, I think... Once I got to college, I probably spent a little bit more on my credit card than I should have, but I have always navigated in ways that weren't fear-based. But again, hearing my mom's voice, she I, I love her and adore her, but she was definitely strict growing up. And even when I had my job at the New York Stock Exchange, I would overdraft my account. I'm not going to lie, but I was also making $12,000, so it was hard even with budgeting. But those experiences taught me to definitely budget and save and to be better with my finances. Oh, I love also one that you're just sharing that like your relationship with money, like anything else, is something that you need to nurture, something that you need to grow and something that you need to just like be patient with too, yep. right? Yeah. And I think that, that that's really important for a lot of young people to hear right now, a lot of Black women to hear right now, because I think, again, as we're approaching this conversation, we have anxiety around it and shame, right, of, mm -hmm. like, feeling dumb, right, or feeling like we don't understand even, like, the language of money, right? So yeah. feeling like, you know what, that's okay. We'll get there. We'll grow there is something that I think a, a lot of people need to hear. I, I definitely do. <laughs> yeah. And and as I'm like navigating my career and I'm getting into different circles, I'm not going to lie. Like I am often, not often, but I, I sometimes get into these new circles and people talk about money a little differently. And I have questions, but I don't want to be the person to ask a question. And I'm like, oh my goodness, do I sound dumb? So I kind of observe, I listen and I'm the person who utilizes Google. So I put it all in the back of my mind and I Google when I immediately, like when I get home, like what was this that they were talking about? And I really, and that's really, like I said, personal finance and what I did on the trading floor are two different things. But even my time on the floor and how I understood how to be an equity trader, I Googled everything of CNBC, Bloomberg, running in the background, recording it. And then later on in the day, rewinding the, recording and Googling everything that I didn't understand. Well, I think also like just to run it back a skosh because I clocked this, you were making 12K at this job on the trading floor. Yes. How sweet. A week? <laughs> like <laughs> annually? Make it make sense. Yeah. It, 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 it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And I think now leaving the trading floor... Okay, I guess we'll backtrack. I always knew coming onto the trading floor that I was going to be making very little money. And in my mind, how I rationalized it was, this is an opportunity. I will put my two years in. I will get my foot in the door on Wall Street, and then I will build my career from there. I was getting paid when I started on the trading floor less than 12000 I actually literally fought my way to making 12000 which is crazy in itself. 
And then after I left the training sto- floor and this, my story was already viral, but I wanted to share how much I was making to, to give people a reality that everything that glitters is in gold, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I didn't get the response that I thought I was going to get. You know, for me, I made a decision that, yes, I was going to put my time in. I was going to work. I was going to get paid this little bit amount of money. And I was okay with that. I was fine. I lived with my grandparents. I budgeted and saved as much as I could. I thought it was an opportunity that was worth exploring, even if I wasn't getting paid what I was worth. But then I found out that other people on the trading floor were making 185000 and wow. my firm was paying Ooh. significantly lower. And for people who don't understand context of how that happens, the trading floor is very similar to the NFL, right? So mm. there are a lot of, you know, house under the NFL is rules that you have to apply, that, that you have to follow. Each firm has to follow the FINRA and the SEC financial regulations. But as far as like salary or time off or, you know, any of that, that is all specific to each firm. And so I was happy. I still am happy that I I worked and, you know, made 12,000. For me, it wasn't about the money. It was about the learning opportunity that would come with that. But I think for me, I had a moment and, and I still really respect my previous boss, Richard Rosenblatt, but you know, we had a conversation about my pay and he felt justified that he paid me that. He has been on the floor for a very long time. And when he started on the floor and he's a a quite older gentleman, (laughs) late seventies, you know, he told me that he was making less than 10,000 on the floor. And for me, I felt like it, it was unfair. It was you know, trying to compare apple to oranges, you know, early 1950s, early 1960s, the times were different. The cost yeah. of living was different. Wow. And I wonder, because again, you have such like grace and gratitude when you sort of share that. And I wonder how you learn then from that, like to advocate for yourself, right? And to be making these money moves, right? So when you're having those conversations and when our audience is having those conversations with, you know, their bosses, right? And people who feel justified saying, you know, I was making 10K 50 years ago, and so therefore you should be too now, 50 years <laughs> yeah. later. You yeah. know, when you're bringing in, I'm sure, a lot more money for other people. And yeah. again, you are, in a lot of ways, you know, you stand alone as a woman, as a Black woman. And I'm sure, you know, I, I don't want to put words in it, but that might feel isolating, right? Like, how, yeah. do you, how were you able to sort of advocate for yourself and make those money moves from there? You know, it was actually a a friend of mine who also worked on the floor at another firm. He was around the same age, also African-American as well. And we went out to dinner one night and he told me that he was making 120,000. This number has stuck with me and I'm now 27 years old. And he told me he was making 120,000 and he looked at me, he said, how much money are you making? And I was like, yeah, no, we're not going there. We're not going there. You're literally making in my mind. I'm thinking he's making like over a hundred thousand more than me. Like that, that's insane. So he was like, you can share with me. And I'm a person who pretty much shares any and everything. Like I love talking about money. I love talking about my credit score. Like I love talking about my journey and being vulnerable, but there, it was a little bit of level of embarrassment, but it was also a level of like, what am I doing? Yes. I know I'm putting in my two years. Yes. I was okay with making 12,000. But is it right? No, no, it's not. And so once he told me his number, I said, 
this number will stay with me. This is the minimum that I will always make for the rest of my life. And my next job, I'm not getting anything less but 120000 mm. especially seeing the representation, especially seeing a young Black person making 120000 There's no excuse why I can't be making that as well. And the next job that I got, I was making a hundred. Then the very next year after I left the trade floor, I was making a hundred over one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, and, and it's knowing, especially when I think when it comes to minorities, it's having that exposure and realizing, you know what, I can ask for what I want, especially when you see other people doing it. Ooh, yes, we were literally just talking about sharing salaries and the importance of that. Right again, the like agita we get when we feel like we are either making too much or too little. There's so much, like you said, embarrassment, shame, anxiety around that. But once you heard that from your friend, you were able to say, okay, bet. Like, I'm going to go out and make sure I get that too, right? And make sure yeah. I get what's mine. And I think that is so important just so that we're sharing that, so that we're literally sharing the wealth. It was interesting because I it came from a genetics background. So again, I didn't go to school for finance. And when I was seeking out jobs that were paying six figures, there were a lot of people, especially minority and minority women, and I don't mean to like put them down in any way, but telling me that I was reaching too high. That is something mm. that to this day, it's, it's like engraved in my mind. Excuse there was me? a lady, yeah, and she was like, you know, how much money do you want to make? And I was like, and I don't think at the time I said um, 120, but I do think I said, I want to be making 100,000, which is not crazy in New York City. I just want people to realize because you can still make 100,000 in New York City and still can't afford to get an apartment. I know. So, <laughs> but I, she told me that I was reaching too high and I, and I just thought, why? Mm. Why would we, if I could go back in time and give anyone advice, you were never reaching too high. Your mm. goals, your things that you want to achieve are not crazy. If you believe that you can, you will, period. Mm. You have to believe it in yourself. And I think getting that advice directly out of college, when you have so many things in your head. First of all, coming out of college, you think, oh, I have a college degree. There is ample amount of opportunities that are out there and you're going to get a job left and right. That is not the reality. You still got to hustle. You still got to network. Whatever it is, the goal that's in mind, you can achieve it. And if you're not getting that goal, that is just as fine because I do believe all these speed bumps are, you know, detours in the right direction. So, yes, you didn't mm -hmm. get this one job. It's fine. Another opportunity will open up. And I, I'm a really big believer in that. Yeah, we're big manifestors <laughs> over here. OK, and I, I think it's so interesting that you you even call that out because I think one of the reasons why we also feel anxious about money is because other people always got an opinion about yes. our bank accounts, right? Yes. Like, Anae was mentioning earlier that people are policing Black people's bank accounts in a lot of ways. And sometimes that call comes from inside the house, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it comes from this, you know, trauma almost, right? Of like, well, don't ask for too much. Don't do too much. Make sure you come put together, you know, in your suit with your hair laid specifically, you have to say thank you, please. Again, that like twice as hard to get half as much type of mentality yeah. that a lot of us have to deal with on that day to day. And so I think it's really important what you're saying about money. But is that something you also felt when you were sort of just like showing up at work in terms of your you as again, a black woman on this floor, like feeling like you had to fit into a certain box or present yourself a certain way or not present yourself in other ways? 
I come from a wonderful grandmother who always walked around the house in dresses and heels and was always dressed to the T. And we were not allowed through, you know, being raised through my mom, like to walk out the house without presenting a certain way. Now mm. I am 27 and I keep saying that because I just feel like the Lauren that was on the trading floor at 21, 22 is just completely, not completely different, but it's light years of, of who I am now at 27. And for me, how you present to the world is everything, but also it's not everything, right? It definitely can give you accessibility to be in different rooms, but sometimes you just want to be okay with just being and not having to present to the world. And the nuance that I now get at 27 is even when I walked onto the trading floor, the men that I worked with at my firm knew how much money I made. They were like, you know, they said to me, like, how long are you really going to stay here? Because you don't seem like a woman who would just take a $12,000 job. Or even when I went to go buy my first car and I was went to a Mazda dealership and someone said, you seem like a girl who would buy a Mercedes. And it's like, first of all, <laughs> you don't know me. I know like what I present <laughs> to the world. Like I am humble as can be. Like if I'm coming to a Mazda dealership, it obviously means one, either that's the amount of money I make to be able to afford a Mazda, which by the way, Mazdas are nice. But two, maybe I don't want the Mercedes. Like, let me just be me mm-hmm. here in a male dominated space like that. Like there were days where... I just didn't want to come to work with hair and makeup, like, you know, like glammed up. And every time I did, it was, are you sick? I'm not sick. I'm Is not your mama sick? sick? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm I'm just me. Like, I, I don't want to be dressed up today. And and having to always have that pressure to be on can can be depleting. See, it sounds like you have really transitioned throughout life. And first and foremost, we are so very proud of you. And throughout that time, what was the research that you did in regards to money? So starting on the floor and where you are now, how have you approached research in regards to money? I think, I think especially as an equity trader, I have done a lot of, a lot of research and again, like deep diving into finances and understanding how companies work and how do you get a company public and going through that IPO ready process. And so the research is a little bit different from, again, personal finance, because I think personal finance is just that it's personal. Like there's so many generic advice that's out there that follow the 50, 30, 20 budgeting rule. And I'm like, that does, that's not applicable to everyone's life. If you have yeah. kids, if you're married, if you're mm-hmm. in school, like it look, it's going to look really different. So I do think that there is definitely a technical side to finance. So if you're looking to put your money into the market or invest, and I'm hesitant on how I even approach that because there are people who are out there that says, if you do X, Y, Z in the third, you're going to make X, Y, Z in the third money. It doesn't work like that with the stock market. No one's a fortune teller. Yes, you can look at charts and graphs, and there is some data to back it, but but really it, it's all an investment, right? And the way that the market's been moving the last two years throughout this pandemic, it is all relatively speculative. Like it, it's all over the place. So the research that would have supported the market while I was on the floor is completely different from how it looks today. So what can we do to actually be more financially literate? Oh, the number one question. Well, 
how I approach financial literacy, I think it's a little bit different from the textbooks because yes, you can read books, you can listen to CNBC, you can listen to Bloomberg and all these other different outlets. But I think when it comes to financial literacy, you have to be able to apply what's in textbooks, but then also apply what's in your personal life, which is why I think having these conversations, being open and direct with your community and your friends and your family around you is going to help you a lot more when it comes to financial literacy than not. I'm not talking about financial literacy as far as investment advice. Please do not listen to the guy down the street who says if you invest in <laughs> Bitcoin, you're going to be a millionaire tomorrow. I'm not talking about that advice. I'm talking about Oops. just your day to day going to the grocery store, buying your basic needs, shopping for an apartment, doing your your day to day things and really listening to the people around you because we are wiser than we think we are. And sometimes mm. it takes listening to someone else's failures to say, I'm not going to do that as well. So I kind of want to shift gears. We've been talking about your experience and I know the people are going to love it. But I think also whenever people are like, oh, person who's smart with money, it, the, it's like you want to learn from their experience, but also people want to apply their experience to them. Yeah. I'm talking about mm -hmm. myself as well. Um, we <laughs> okay. were meeting, we were talking on the podcast earlier about debt. Now, I always say this jokingly, I don't have debt, but I definitely do. And I'm ignoring it and pretending like it doesn't exist. But no. for me, I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to be real. I'm going to drag myself. So for people like me and people who have like student loan debt, people who have credit card debt, what would you say are the first steps to kind of consider or take into consideration when you want to tackle that? Like if you're like, OK, I've had enough of these ignoring these fast, these no net or whatever, whatever. When yeah. you want to step into tackling your debt, what's the first thing that you would suggest for people to do? One, understand how much debt you have, period. You can't tackle debt if you don't know how much debt you have. You all should understand, at least with revolving debt like that, student loan debt and credit card debt, what the actual interest rates are. Mm. <laughs> because people don't realize that they're paying, they're paying, they're paying, and they're still accruing interest. And so really, they're never really getting out of the hole. That that would be the, the two first things that to, to be able to tackle debt. And, and don't ignore it. Like, one thing that I encourage, and this isn't with debt, but the way to have a healthier relationship with money outside of everything that I've said, having conversations with people around you, check your bank account every single day. I no. remember, <laughs> see, Stress. see, when I, but that's the way to, to get those fear-based emotions out the door, right? Because there's no surprises. You know what's in your bank account. I know when I was younger, I would avoid checking my bank account. And if I made purchases, would kind of just do a silent prayer. Like, I hope this goes through. I hope this goes through. Let's not avoid the problem. Let's tackle it on head on. And let's be comfortable with checking our bank account and knowing. Let's look at the habits that we've had. Because again, it's going to be ever growing, ever evolving. And you could be really good at money. And there are months where I'm great at money. And then there are months where I'm not so great at money. And that is perfectly okay. Financial expert and all. Like, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that you talked about a fear-based mindset because I, while I'm pretending my student loans don't exist, I definitely check my like bank account every single day, but it's with Good. the fear mindset. It's with the fear yeah. mindset though. So I'm checking to yeah. see like, oh, I know that I did whatever. And I feel like we've talked about this, but a lot of us are just not confident. You know that you're spending and yeah. you know that you are in control, but it sometimes it feels like, well, everything costs money and you feel mm -hmm. like you don't have agency 
in your like finances. And I think that that's something like you, it starts in the mind. Like you're saying, you're it telling does. yourself, I believe that I can be rich. I believe that I can be responsible with it. But for so much of us, because we live in a capitalistic society, we feel like victims when I feel like mm. the mindset we need to have is like we are champions of this money thing. Like I am in charge of my money. So that's a drag to me. Let me go. <laughs> let me go sit down. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's also just nurturing yourself. Like it's okay. Like it's okay, again, to be bad at money. It's okay but I think the more that you have that inner dialogue with yourself, the better. And in a way to kind of get out of overspending, budgeting, budget and saving is also going to be your best friend as well. And I know that people say that and it's a little nuanced because how do we budget and save? And right, there is a 50-30-20 rule that's out there. And for people who don't know what the 50-30-20 rule is, but 50% goes to your everyday, your part, your, your everyday expenses, 30% goes to your future and 20% goes to towards your wants. I don't know if it can help any and everyone, but I do think that you should be able to compartmentalize and, and put a percentage on what your spending habits are going to be. That is one of the first steps to get better. But then also go 30 days, 30 days without spending money that is not necessary. Now that is, I know for a lot of people, I'm seeing your faces. You're like, how do I necessary? Define the word necessary. So that is, that is where you have to have a direct conversation with yourself. So before the 30 days starts, write out a list. And I want you to be really honest, like Mm -hmm. really honest with yourself. What is necessary? Food, water. Okay, I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my car note. Like those things are all like necessary to for your day to day, right? If it's not necessary, if it's not on that list, be honest with yourself. And then when you're going through those 30 days, don't. Just don't. And it's hard. And actually, I usually tell people 60 days. So like, but it, it, it's hard. But and the reason why I say 60 days, because usually it's 21 days to form a habit. Right. But in finance, it takes anywhere between 60 and 90 days to form a habit because you don't see mm. your credit score change in 21 days. Mm. If you're trying to raise it, it's not going to raise in 21 days. So that's an unrealistic expectation goal to have in mind. You'll see it being raised after 60 or 90 days. She says 60 yeah. days. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And hey, that flight to Aruba is looking real nasty. <laughs> <necessary, so. laughs> That's what I'm saying. Self-care. Self-care. Yeah. So we talked about debt. And, you know, I feel like I got to move on because my student loans are like, hey, excuse me. She said pay attention. <laughs> just, just wait a minute. But, okay. So I, we've, I just am so, I feel like I'm overwhelmed with another aspect of finances, which is investing. That's one thing that seems so intimidating and so, like, none of my business, even though I, too, would like to drop $150 somewhere and come back next year and see it tripled, multiply, whatever. What would you say, like we're we're all about first steps, practical baby steps towards getting into this thing. What would you say is a good point of entry at the very basic, basic beginner level, like people who barely know how to spell Bitcoin? Like where should we start? Education and due diligence. And you don't have to invest tomorrow. You don't have to invest today. Invest when you are ready to. When I worked on the trading floor, 90% of the men on the trading floor did not invest in the stock market. So also realizing the way to invest is not just the stock market. There are other ways to invest, but I'll get into that. 
But their philosophy, a lot of men on the floor have been there for for, um, one, two, now three decades. And so they have gone through probably two to three recessions at this point. For them, them, they feel like you, you just can't beat this game. So like don't invest in the stock market. I say you can't beat the game or even beat play the game if you're not even in the game, right? Yeah. And so my two years that I was on the trading floor, I did a lot of research and I never invested. I didn't actually invest until March of the pandemic. Um, and that is when the, the the a lot of the stock prices were low. So it made sense of, okay, I can actually afford it. I've done my research. I've been playing the long game. I know that this is something good to invest in. And the other thing, don't invest with emotions. If you're investing with emotions, you're already playing with fire, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, that's not how you want to invest. If you want to think investing is not gambling, but one of the reasons why gambling is so addictive and gambling, people have these really bad habits because they're investing with emotions. They they win the hundred dollars and then they say, you know what, let's keep let's keep going until I try to make more money. And then they're down to their last quarter and they're like, you know what, let me stop. You don't want to invest with fear-based emotions. It's not going to guide you right in any aspect of your life. I get asked often, you know, what's a stock that you wish you would have invested in? It None, because it wasn't meant for me. What is in this present moment today? And is it meant for me to invest? And how you know you're meant to be able to invest? Looking at your risk tolerance level. You need to be able to identify what is your risk tolerance. If you're someone who is high, meaning you like to gamble, you want to invest in these new caveats such as cryptocurrency or NFTs, then that will be the place for you to go. But have you budget? Have you saved? Are you in a financial healthy place to even be investing? That's the number two question. The number three question, have you actually done your due diligence to understand what you're even investing in? Are you listening to Joe down the street? And I think once you have that checklist, then you can take the next step to say definitively, this is what I'm going to invest in. And the fourth thing, whatever you invest in, it's not necessarily about getting a profit and certainly not getting a profit tomorrow. You're you're playing the long game. You're doing anything long term. So this is anything over 12 months. But if you were to invest your expendable cash, money that you weren't looking for, and lose it all, would you still be happy with your investment? And if the answer is Mm. yes, then you are in a good place to invest. Okay. That's such a smart way to think about it. I think the way that we think about money, it's so, the culture or the vibe right now is like, I want money right now. How do I make it big? How do I rake in all the cash immediately? But we don't really think about like that it takes time. You're planting a seed and it takes a Mm -hmm. long time for you to be able to like, reap that and just, I don't know, because this is money that you worked for however many years to be able to invest and you're just willing to throw it away. But like you said, some people have a higher risk tolerance for it. They do. They do. And honestly, I I work too hard for my money to just be throwing it away left and right. So like I make sure I'm very strategic in how I think about investing. But to the other point, there are other ways to invest that aren't in the stock market. You can be an angel investor. You can invest in your community. You can invest in things that feel good. Like I'm all, I'm all about karma and this holistic lifestyle and like what I give out, I want to receive back in full fold. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I think of the top companies that are at the stock market, a lot of those companies are problematic. And I don't really have time to make companies richer that aren't doing anything for my community. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about 
being a woman, I'm talking about being an African-American person here in America. Like, are, what is the retention rate of women that work for your company? What are your packages when, when women go on maternity leave? What are you actually doing for the community in which your actual building is sitting? If you're not doing anything, then why do I want to invest in your company? You're doing good without, without my help. That's real. I don't think people are really thinking as morally as you. People are really, you know, <laughs> people are like, well, I know that they did this, but the money, the money, though. Yeah, but if you think about yeah. it, mm-hmm. your conscience kind of matters. It matters at the end of the day. It so I, I hear that. And my last kind of question for you as a person who has been in the game, you are true to this, not new to this. What is one thing about the space of money and finances that is really exciting you? Something that you're like, it's getting your blood going. You're like, oh, I'm so ready to talk about this. What's one thing that you are so into right now and you would hope that other people kind of are just as enthused about? You know, I have circled around a little bit about how I don't like this new space. There are new space as far as like cryptocurrency and NFTs and this new digital era that we're in. There is a lot of positive. I'm, I'm not going to lie there. Are, blockchain technology is a disruptor and it will change lives. It will change businesses going forward. And I do feel like this is the time, not necessarily to invest, but this is the time to definitely educate yourself on the space because when I say that there are different ways of investing your money, long are the days of put your money in the stock market, get a return. Okay, I'm going to become wealthy. There are so many other ways and so many different, at this point, different points of entry. And the accessibility is there. Everyone at this point has a seat at the table to invest and be able to create generational wealth. And so when you talked about planting that seed, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how am I going to impact? What, am, what is the foundation that I'm setting up? Don't know if I'm going to have kids, but for my family in the future, and seeing that being able to grow and flourish and to and be able to see them have a seat at the table in the future. That is what I think about. And, and if it's not even just my family, I'm just thinking about the Black community in, in general. And we think about like home ownership and we think about like how many steps back we are from other ethnicities that live in America. We have the opportunity. The power is here. We just need to take it. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, speaking of power, because I, I do got to ask, all right, I mentioned at the beginning, and as I said, we interviewed Kiersey Clemens last year yes. around this time, and she told us about your movie project that you guys are doing together. You're producing it with her as well. She will be playing you. Like, yes. again, you're, like you said, you're 27, and we're already doing biopic too. Crazy. Like, you are the ultimate, <laughs> like, how it started, how it's going type meme for us. <laughs> I love that Hollywood and entertainment is really uh, highlighting historic, historic, I'm not old, historic modern You're day figures. You're to be historic, honey. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yes. no, you made know, history. But, but, it, but we're like sharing these stories of like historic modern day figures versus always having to go back into time and, and highlight people that are long gone. And although their stories are great, it's nice to be like on the outside looking in, if I wasn't Lauren Simmons and this was just me looking at some girl, like it's nice that her story is being shared and amplified. And this gives, you know, inspiration to other black women to say, you know what, I could do it. And maybe it's not the New York Stock Exchange because y'all heard everything that I had to say about that. But maybe it is being just a boss within finance and 
I love, 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 love that we're doing this story. I love the writer and director that we have on this project. Kiersey is, you know, just such full of life and passionate. And she says exactly what's on, you know, her mind. And while she is really inspired by me, I'm really inspired by everything that she's doing as well. And I think she's, you know, an incredible actress. And I'm so grateful to be working with such a down-to-earth, humble, inspiring woman for this project. Dope. Okay. Well, do we have a date yet? Do we have any anything you can share? Like, are we going to have that scene in the movie with the girl over there telling you that you shouldn't be making that? Like, how? Are we, what is the energy that we're going to be giving in this movie? That you definitely will see in the movie. I don't have a release date yet. Um, you know, this pandemic has pushed back a lot of projects. So. Yeah. <laughs> and with the rising COVID cases that are coming out today, I don't know. We'll see. But I'm I'm hopeful that it'll be next year, but honestly, y'all, it's 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 been a journey. Yeah. Absolutely. And when it does come out, when it, you can again, as you said, like get your flowers while you're still here. Like that's yeah. that's the dream, right? And that's yeah. that's beautiful. So congratulations. Like we said, we are so proud of you. We are listening Thank to you. you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for also being open about what you don't know and what you want to know more about. I think that is something our audience can always benefit from. It's always a chance to learn and grow and build that relationship with money. So let's get out there and do it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Lauren. Thank you all. I'm so grateful to have been here. Thank you. I love this conversation. It's great. A rich conversation, all right? It's just like up my tax bracket. I wrote several notes during this conversation. And again, I'm like, so I shouldn't invest in my SoundCloud rapper. Like, okay. Noted. Is that investing with emotion? Like, Wait, which okay. one your boyfriend so got SoundCloud? Yeah, like what if he's going to really pop off? Okay. Chelsea <laughs> said that's what it means to support your man. The Go Offs' podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Crystal Devone, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang, Maya Carmichael, and Inaye Komanivo. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Money work.